Welcome to the podcast, Commonwealth Magazine's weekly podcast focusing on politics and policies and the people who impact both. I'm Jack Sullivan, a reporter for Commonwealth, along with Bruce Mole, editor of the magazine. It's called the sharing economy. If you got something to share, why not make a few bucks off it? For most people, when they think of the emerging income sources, cars and homes are what comes to mind. And like Uber becoming synonymous with the ride-sharing networks, Airbnb has become the dominant player in the home-sharing market. One of the key complaints, though, is the impact of short-term rentals on competition and the loss of revenue for states and cities and towns that receive tax money from the traditional players in the industry, but nothing from people who rent out a room or their house. Airbnb wants to change that. They say tax us, and it looks like the state is willing to oblige. Joining us today to talk about the issue of taxes on home sharing and a number of other issues is Will Burns, Director of Policy for Airbnb. Welcome, Will. Thank you very much. Well, um, get right into it. Um, it. It's kind of unusual for a corporation to walk up to uh, Beacon Hill, especially you know in Massachusetts, and say, hey, slap a tax on us, will you? Yeah, because you, you'll be taken seriously in, in Massachusetts <laughs> and in, on Beacon Hill. Um, look, you know, part of what the goal of the company is is, is to become legitimate. Um, and one of the ways you do that is by being a good corporate citizen. It takes away uh, a critical argument that um, our competitors have made is that, you know, we don't play by the rules, we don't pay taxes, we're sort of pirates. And so the idea behind paying taxes is to be a good citizen. Um, why is it so? It, it, it has been uh, introduced up on up at the legislature a couple of times and, and has yet to uh, be voted on. Um, you know, make it to the floor. What's the problem? I mean, I, I would think that you know somebody says, "Here's some money," you're going to go for it. Well, my well, we did we did get the, a bill through the Senate um, uh, late in the session in July, um, and it got to a House conference committee. I think there are a lot of other issues on the docket for the Massachusetts legislature. The sort of ride-sharing issue was sort of had been percolating for some time, and there's a big fight between Uber and Lyft and the, and the taxi companies, and there was a lot of work around that and some other issues. Um, you know, look, I think whenever you have a bill to create a tax, even if the corporation or the entity wants to pay it, it's still a, a vote for tax. And so there are folks who had concerns about passing new taxes in the last session. Um, you know, but we're going to come back at it, and we're going to we're continuing to talk to House and Senate leadership, and also the governor's office on ways that we can get this done in 2017. Go for it, Bruce. Well, what about the governor's office? Have you had some talks with them about? Because uh, he seems to be perhaps one of the most conflicted on Beacon Hill about putting his name on a tax. Well, I think the the and I don't want to speak for the governor, but my understanding is that they believe that there should be a level playing field between the hotels. Uh, and internet-based platforms that do short-term rentals, right? So it's not just Airbnb, but the industry writ large. So there should be a level playing field. That's his thinking. And so it's not necessarily a tax increase. It's more of a modernization of the tax code to uh, have the tax code catch up with activity uh, that's new and was not anticipated when the hotel occupancy tax laws were written years ago. Um, so we're still going through that process, and um, hopefully we can get something put together that we can all support in 2017. And what type of tax would Airbnb favor? We would want to pay the same taxes that the hotels do. Um, and we'd like to collect and remit that tax on behalf of our host. So um, my mother is an Airbnb super host in Cleveland. I, I was born and raised there. And, um, you know, the room that I would normally use when I visit her 
she rents out. You know, she was a social worker for 33 years, has a small annuity, gets Social Security and wants to make a little bit of extra money and plus talk to some people. Um, What we do in Cleveland is that instead of my mother writing a check to the city of Cleveland in Cuyahoga County for the hotel tax, Airbnb charges the guests and then takes that money and then pays it on her behalf uh, to the city of Cleveland and to Cuyahoga County. And that's a similar arrangement we want to have here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and with Boston and Cambridge and other municipalities that have a hotel tax as well. Can't there be an argument made, though, that one of the reasons that Airbnb is becoming popular is um, people don't have to pay the tax. It's a little bit of a savings on uh, on, on renting a B&B, um, you know, a bed and breakfast room or, or renting a hotel room. And if you slap a tax on there, it's going to uh, have a, a negative impact on uh, the industry. Well, I think there are some jurisdictions where Um, the language of the law is pretty clear that we should be paying taxes. And so we've entered into negotiations with those states and cities. So Chicago, for example, uh, we pay, um, we pay the same tax. Actually, we pay more than the hotel (laughs) hotels do in the city of Chicago. We pay 4% more, but that's a, that's another story. Um, you know, we, some states have said you should be paying taxes. And so we enter into agreements with them to figure out how to do it. Um, you know, for the most part, there is a value proposition for Airbnb versus hotels, especially in Boston. Uh, Boston hotels now are charging um, about the same as hotels in New York City. Um, and so families who want to come to Boston and, and visit the historic sites, and you know, uh, they find a, a value proposition with Airbnb. The other thing is that people use our platform because they want to live like a local. They want to go to a neighborhood. They want to see how people in that Uh, and that part of a city live, and they want to have an authentic experience. Um, Our hosts provide guidebooks on local restaurants and bars and places of interest so that when you show up at their house, you have a roadmap to the neighborhood and and how to experience it. Um, And so I think that's another thing that that we offer, too, that's a little bit different. Where does Boston fit in with uh, Airbnb's... um, um Business. I, I had read that it's it's one of the more popular uh, destinations for people that uh, use Airbnb as well as Cape Cod. Is is that true? Boston and Cambridge are actually our two biggest markets in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is our fourth largest market in the U.S. Um, so there are a lot of people who are using Airbnb as homeowners uh, and to make a little bit of extra money. Uh, and there are folks who want to come to Boston and find this is an affordable way to do it. Is there a way to quantify that uh, revenue-wise? Um, we can. We have facts on uh, the amount of money that our that our hosts have earned, um, and we have a lot of those in our reports on the city of Boston. You can go to airbnbcitizen.com and look up Boston, and there's a whole bunch of facts about what we're doing here in Boston. And we also have a Massachusetts report, which breaks down our activities in different regions of Massachusetts. Of Massachusetts. Why, why is Massachusetts such a popular destination for, uh, for, for your uh, app? Well, I, you know, it's, Boston is the sort of cradle of American liberty, right? I mean, you know, you want to go see where Paul Revere was, and then you've got the universities, you've got biotech, you've got technology. There are a host of reasons why people want to come to Massachusetts. And, you know, short-term rentals are another way for tourists to come to the, to the state. Uh, and a way for them to spend money, especially with local-owned businesses and small businesses. There there was a story in the Boston Globe that um, Boston city councilors are concerned about um, the 
what Airbnb is doing to the housing supply because people can make more money doing short-term rentals, that it's removing a lot of the housing stock from um, the, the market. How do you address that concern? Um, I don't really see that as an issue. We did a, a, a data dive and we sent a letter to um, the members of the Boston City Council and to the mayor's office um, looking at the number of entire home units on our platform that are rented for more than 180 days a year. And it was something like 255 out of the 268,000 units of housing in the city of Boston. So I'm not sure how that small category of housing, those number of units is having an impact on affordable housing in Boston. I will tell you as a former local elected official who worked on affordable housing and community development, that there are a lot of factors that go into to affordable housing. I mean, sometimes you have competing concerns around preservation of existing housing and landmarks, which prevent creating uh, more housing. You have uh, community pushback on density, right? Like some people don't want to see big, tall buildings, which is uh, an efficient way to build more affordable housing. We've had federal retrenchment um, as a consequence of um, Congress and, and the sequester in terms of investment that's critical in building affordable housing because you need support from government to do it. Affordable housing deals have lots of different layers. And when the federal government steps back, that's a huge detriment to building more affordable housing units in cities. So the, I wanted to follow up. You said 200 and how many? It was 255 units of housing, entire homes that were rented for more than 180 days in a calendar year. Okay. Um, out of the 268,000 right. units so of housing in Boston. For 180 days or more? or is 180 days or more. Now, what kind of a... Uh, a renter is doing that. I, I, is that more of a almost a business or? Well, that's that's the point I was making. Is that you know if you look, there are people like my mom um, right. who are renting out a private room. Um, there are even people who are maybe renting out their entire house because they travel a lot for business or you know they're out of town or they have two properties and they're trying to figure out how to maybe monetize the property when the renter's lease is up. Um, but there's no question they're commercial operators. They're a very small part of our portfolio in Boston, specifically. Um, only 15% of our listings um, are rented out for more than 180 days a year. The vast majority of our listings are on the platform for less than 90 days, are, are rented out for less than 90 days a year. So there, there really are two different kinds of Airbnb hosts in markets. And our, our philosophy is this, that... We shouldn't have to make my mom go down to City Hall and fill out a bunch of paperwork because if she's just trying to do this a few times a year, right, or just trying to get used to the idea. People who, are do who have a single listing and are just getting up on the platform, we want to make it as easy as possible for them to do it because it's kind of a – you're taking – you know, it, it takes a lot to decide I'm going to put my house on an Internet-based platform and let somebody I don't know stay here. And if you create a bunch of regulations, there are fewer people who are going to want to do it. So that's one instance. Yeah. The more commercial activity, you know, if you're running a hotel, then maybe you should be licensed like one. And maybe you should, you know, maybe you should have to go through some of the similar things that hotels do. Um, in other jurisdictions, we've limited the number of entire units that a host can put on the platform as a way to curtail commercial activity. 
Um, and there are different strategies that cities and states can use to do that. And we're happy to work with cities and states to solve for their particular problems. I, I just think that, uh, and I'm new to Boston and I'm, I'm learning as I go, but it seems to me that there's been um, a lot of change in a very short period of time. And, you know, people are trying to find reasons for why rents have gone up the way that they have. They're trying to figure out why neighborhoods maybe don't look the same as they did 20 years ago. Um, and I think that sometimes people look for easy, um, uh, easy targets. Um, and I think when there really are a lot of complex factors that are going into it. What, what is the problem of having commercial um, entities than uh, being part of the Airbnb? I mean, the whole idea is to, to associate people with uh, a city or town that they're, that they're traveling to and to be able to find accommodations. Why, why limit uh, commercial uh, enterprises? Well, it's not so much limiting commercial enterprises. It's about making sure that, you know, folks who are engaging in commercial activities um, are not having the, the impact on affordable housing moving forward, right? Um, and also sort of we want to be sensitive to and a partner with cities and states as they deal with how to make home sharing work. Um, and, you know, obviously Mayor Walsh has set a goal. I think it's 53,000 units of affordable housing to be built in the city of Boston within a certain period of time. And he's identified affordable housing as an important priority. And we want to work with the mayor and with the city council uh, to make sure that we're not having, maybe moving forward, a negative impact on affordable housing in the city of Boston. It's very important for us to be thought of as a partner. Uh, we provide data. Uh, we show up at hearings. Um, we try to f we try to solve for problems as opposed to um, not being a partner with cities and municipalities. How is what is happening here in Boston different from what Airbnb is experiencing around the country? I mean, in terms of convincing the politicians, because I think Boston has sort of have a, has a reputation for saying no, we don't we don't want that. Or we, we... well, I think Boston actually has a really robust tech sector. Um, you know, the mayor and his team have put a lot of time and, and energy into this issue. Um, you know, there's certainly um, folks on Beacon Hill who, in, Senate, in the Senate and the House, who are interested in this issue and, and, and see it as a way to help uh, middle-income people make a little bit of extra money. So the typical Chicago, uh, Boston host makes uh, $6,400 a year. Um, the typical host is renting out um, either a private room or their entire home. 48 days a year. Um, and so there's a real benefit to people as uh, cities become more expensive and, you know, folks haven't gotten a raise um, in recent years. And so I think people want to figure out how to, how to be helpful there. But uh, I don't think you answered my question. Are, are we in resistance to the whole um, approach you're trying to... I, I don't think so. I think... I think, I think we're typical. I think that there is... Um, I think you. I think that you could say there's a broad consensus that people who are have one listing on the platform or renting out their primary residence um, should be allowed to do it. Um, I think the the question is, what do you do about more commercial actors who have multiple units on the air, on a on an internet based platform? Um, and the question is, should that be allowed? And if so, how many units? And how do you make sure that those units, some units are available for long-term rental? 
And so in some markets we've said, you know, you can have a cap. But I do think that there's there's not resistance. Um, I don't think that any there's not a sense that Boston wants to ban us or wants us to go away. I think that people see a lot of positives from what home sharing does for both the renters and for the businesses in those neighborhoods. Uber has been... Um they've been attacked for basically disrupting the taxi industry around the world um, that you know they and and that they should be um, treated like a uh, taxi uh, um, company um, their argument is is exactly what you're talking about which is these are people with private uh, vehicles and they're offering a service and they're doing it um, you know at different times uh, you know they're doing it at their own pace and it's it sounds like it's similar what you're talking about with Airbnb, which is you know your mom has a an empty room and and she's looking to make a little bit more money. Why though, is that not a threat to the uh, traditional hotel and motel uh, business? And why shouldn't somebody who rents out their home be uh, be treated the same way? Well, I, I think that you can look at um, the hotel occupancy rates in in the city of Boston. And you can look at what uh, the hotels are charging to see that we're not a threat to them. The fact that Boston hotels, uh, I think the Globe wrote a story about it this summer, um, are charging the same as New York hotels um, is an indicator that they're doing pretty good. Um, I, I think that you want to have, if you're, you're a commercial operator and you're operating like a hotel in terms of having multiple units of housing on the platform, and there should be a different regulatory approach with you. For the person who is doing it in their home, um, there should be a lighter touch. Um, there should be a lighter touch because they are not uh, operating uh, like, a, like a hotel. Um, I don't, you know, my mom's not running a hotel, but if she had a, a building with six units in it and every unit was uh, on the platform, then you could argue that that person is really... But, but your mom uh, is making income off of she off is. something. And, and, and that's, no matter how you measure it, it's still a business. It, it's still a, it's, She's still deriving income from it, but I don't think it has the same... Uh, it's not the same scale, uh, and, and it's not the same amount of revenue that someone who has a six-flat and, and has every unit on, uh, on an Internet-based platform. There's no way that they're making the same amount of money. Um, and and you know, it's it's just a different scale. It's a different it's a different beast. Personal question: You brought up your mother quite a few times. Um, so, do you have any concerns? You, you mentioned that yeah. you know some people having strangers come in and occupy a room in their apartment or home could be unsettling. Did you ever have any concerns with your mother? Well, my my mom ran a social service agency, a settlement house, for thirty three years uh, in the Carver Park housing estates on the east side of Cleveland. Um, so, so she knows how to handle herself. She knows how to handle herself. <laughs> so I, first of all, I feel bad for anybody who tried to cross her. But um, <laughs> but, but, but in all seriousness, we, we have a, a really robust uh, background check program. Uh, so all of our hosts and guests um, go through a criminal background check. Um, so obviously if you have forcible felonies, we're not going to let you be on our platform. Um, if you have some minor drug possession issues, that's not a problem. But if you're a dangerous person... Uh, you're, you're not going to be allowed to be a host or guest. What, what's interesting about Airbnb, and I, I'll be honest with you, I, I hadn't used the service until I went out to the company for an interview. And it was a woman, it was an older woman living in San Francisco, and she was letting, I was sharing a room, I had a room, she had a room in her house she let me use. And 
my flight was delayed. Um, she stayed up late and made sure she could let me in. Um, do you need anything? Do you have everything? If you want, you can sit out in the living room with me and watch television. If you just want to go to bed, you can do that. The next morning, like, she's like, I'm making eggs. Would you like to have some eggs? <laughs> I got the coffee pot going. She had a book in her living room, and I had the same book, and so we struck up a conversation about that and found out that she had spent 30 years and going back and forth to the Soviet Union. And I mean, it was just... You, 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 so many times we're, we're suspicious of other people and we're, we're taught to do that and to be suspicious when really pe most people are really good and decent. And what I like about the platform is the ability to meet people I wouldn't normally meet um, and have these really positive connecting experiences. And I think that's also part of the reason why people use the platform. Now, I hadn't heard about the background checks. How do you do that on, I mean, you must have a lot of customers, right? Well, we we verify people's identity. So when you go on our platform, there are a number of things that you have to fill, out. fill out and provide to us to verify that you are who you say you are. Um, and so that's that's part of the reason why people have pictures on the platform. There, there's, a, there's a real importance on people being who they say they are so that folks can connect with them. How do how do you go how do you verify that though I mean one of the issues that uh, transportation network companies are having especially here in Massachusetts is um, the the process of the background uh, check you know whether it's it, it's simply running somebody through a um, uh, a computer program or doing fingerprints how how do you how do you verify somebody's identity when I when I went on the platform I I provided my driver's license um, so. Um, and then they use that information to do a criminal background check. Um, so people have to verify their identity on our platform using certain identi identity documents, which, there, which cuts down on um, people not being who they say they are. Are there any communities that, that require a, uh, a more in-depth background check, uh, you know, fingerprints, for instance? No. I, what I, or what has I, that been broached? Um, to the best of my knowledge, no. What, what I do think happens is that, you know, our hosts decide who they're going to rent to. So let's say I wanted to rent um, from my mom. I would send a request to her asking to, to rent the room. And my mother would say, okay, you know, she could ask, who are you? What are you up to? What are you doing? Why are you coming to Cleveland? Which might be a legitimate question. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't do that. I can do that. I'm from there. Um, I get a lot of letters for that. Um, so our hosts actually interact with guests before uh, they commit to the booking. Um, so that's another layer. And then people are reviewed, right? Like, so part of the thing I do as an Airbnb guest is I always make sure to abide by the house rules to sort of clean up after myself because I want five-star reviews because if I get five-star reviews, it makes it easier for me to get a listing someplace else. And the same thing for hosts. So my mom's a super host because she gets a bunch of five-star reviews from the people who stay with her. And because she has that super host designation, more people want to stay with her. So there, there are a number of incentives that are built into the platform for people to be good actors. Um, and eventually, if you get bad reviews over a period of time, Eventually, you're not going to be on the platform. Hmm. And just another stupid question. So no, no if, if I'm renting from your mother, um, do, you said, well, you said you went to San Francisco and, and the woman who had the house stayed up late because you were get, arriving late. Um, 
Is that the way it normally works, that the, you, you make an arrangement to get the key or get access? Uh... Sometimes you meet the guest. Um, it depends on the – sometimes you meet the host. Some, it depends on the kind of listing you're getting. So when I've gone to San Francisco, normally I'm staying in a room in someone's house. Um, and so um, I've stayed with a person who uses Airbnb to make extra money so that they can start their own tech company. Um you know, but you normally make an arrangement to meet. I've made arrangements to meet them at the building, and they walk you in. Okay. Um, I've I've rented out entire units in other cities where there's a lockbox, and I've given a code, and and then I go from there. Or there's like a person at the the doorman, for example, verifies who I am gotcha. and then says you can go up. Um, when, when you spoke about um, verifying somebody's identity, you said about putting your license uh, online um, to the company. There were some concerns uh, recently, uh, an analysis um, that that said that there were indications of racial discrimination. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, because of that, um, minorities would put their pictures online, you know, as far as guests, and and some of the hosts would then ignore them, that or, you know, or, or would bypass them. So there was issues there. How do you overcome that? Right. So. Um, uh, and just for the record, I'm African-American and, um, you know, I want to work for a company that um, is fighting against racial discrimination. And I'm really impressed by what the company did when, when these issues came to light. So at the beginning of 2016, there was a study that was conducted by a professor at Harvard University um, that attempted to uh, test for uh, African-Americans and whites in terms of the rates of getting rentals on the Airbnb platform. And what he found was that his study showed that um, that if you had af- an African American sounding name, you were less likely to get uh, a, a rental than someone who had a a white sounding name. Now, our company reacted very strongly to that. We went through this ninety day review process. We brought in Laura Murphy, who ran the ACLU office in Washington D.C. as a contractor. We also contracted with Eric Holder. Uh, to look at our processes, to look at ways that we could do a better job of fighting discrimination on the platform. So there are a bunch of things that came out of that. Um, one, um, there's now an entire unit within the company that's looking at our hosts and guests in terms of behavior and acceptance and what they're doing in terms of renting to people of different ethnicities and groups. Um, two, there's a resource now, if you feel like you've been discriminated against by a host, Uh, on our platform that you can go to within Airbnb. Three, we're the first tech company that I'm aware of uh, to set goals for the hiring of underrepresented minorities in the company. We've also set goals for the hiring, for contracting under companies owned by underrepresented minorities uh, by the company. Um, And we're gonna continue to review how these processes and how these processes work. Also, our hosts have had to sign a pledge that they will not engage in racial discrimination and discrimination against other protected groups, including LGBTQ, um, moving forward. So, but we're continuing to monitor to see how this works, um, and we'll find other approaches um, as we move forward. Have Have you um, taken a look at uh, from the host standpoint um, of whether or not there is. Um, disparity in in where the um, where the rentals are. For instance, in Boston, we have some very diverse neighborhoods, uh, Dorchester, Mattapan, Roxbury, 
um, how are they represented on your host versus, say, Beacon Hill, Back Bay? So I think the, the, the interesting thing is that it's our growth in those communities, which is most telling. So um, we just released a report on the growth of hosting in majority-minority communities in Boston. And it's a trend that we're seeing around the city. Um, I'm sorry, around the country. Um, that more and more underrepresented minorities are choosing to do this uh, to make additional money. Um, and we're also creating partnerships with uh, civil rights organizations in major markets to increase the number of underrepresented minorities on our platform. So I, w I want to just hear a little bit more about you and your background. You, you said you grew up in Cleveland, but you were a politician in Chicago? Yeah, I, um, I, grew up, I was born and raised uh, in Cleveland, uh, and I went to University of Chicago undergrad uh, and ended up in Hyde Park, which was like no other neighborhood I'd ever been in, uh, and uh, happened to meet uh, Barack Obama two weeks after I graduated from college in 1995 when he was running for state senator. So I ended up being a volunteer in that campaign, and I went back to U of C uh, for graduate school. I was supposed to get a PhD in political science. Um, but while I was in graduate school, I worked in his district office for three years, sort of stuffing envelopes and answering phones and passing out flyers, that sort of thing. Um, and then he sort of fell down the rabbit hole. He sent me to Springfield to work on legislative staff, and and then I worked for him when he ran for Congress, and then um, bounced around a couple of non-for-profits, Ur Chicago Urban League and Metropolitan Planning Council. Went back to staff, and then was eventually recruited to run for state representative and, and won, and served in the Illinois House, and then... Um, was asked to serve in the city council, and I did that for five years before coming to Airbnb. Mm. You expect him to be a host when he uh, <laughs> steps down? <or? laughs> that would be great. That'd be a great listing. Like go hang, out with, <laughs> hang out with former President Barack Obama. That would be great. You know, have a martini with him. Um, he's a fun guy to hang out with. Well, great. Uh, well, we appreciate it. Um, that's it for this edition of the podcast. We want to thank uh, Will Burns from Airbnb for joining us. Airbnb for joining us today. Thanks for coming by, Will. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or download it on iTunes um, or go to our website to click on and listen. My name's Jack Sullivan. I'm long here with Bruce Mole. want to thank you for listening and tune in again next week for another episode of the podcast. Just know you're not alone Because I'm going to make this place yours